0: The gig economy has been changing and evolving ever uh, since it began, if it ever began, if the gig economy hasn't been existing for for much longer than we realize. And that's what we're talking about today. Well, thank you for joining in to Rockin' Your Marketplace. We are talking today with Michelle Tinsley, who's the president and co-founder at Yellowbird, and also the COO at Yellowbird. She's, um, she's I've had a pre-good pre-interview with her. She's got some awesome thoughts, so I'm really excited to to get to talk to her. But. A um, little background on Michelle. And Michelle, you can you can definitely share or add in anywhere that you think you, you would like to. But um, after a career in corporate roles at Intel, and she was working in finance, general management, product sales, I mean, kind of all over the board, she was drawn down the, the startup path. And she's been an angel investor since 2013, um, and motivated by the pace of change and the growth that startups, startups experience. So uh, 2019, she joined as co-founder of Yellowbird, which is a two-sided marketplace, which is why she's on here to talk about what she's an expert at. And um, yeah, so the, uh, Yellowbird as a marketplace matches EHS professionals with companies on demand. So uh, that's that's where she's at right now. She's the, uh, in charge of the executive team and serving in the role of integrator at that company. And uh, she's going to be talking today about how the gig economy has evolved in many ways since uh, since since it began and how it's continuing to evolve. Right, the, It's pr- maybe one of the fastest changing uh, markets out there, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But would you have anything more to, to add intru- uh, to introduce yourself, Michelle?
1: Yeah, I'd just say I think we're in an exciting time. I mean, I think you know we're looking at the kind of wave one of gig has happened. Um, it's now getting on 10 years old. And I think because of the pandemic, we're at an accelerated pace of where we're going to see changes happening.
0: Yeah, so uh, let's start at the beginning then. So how did the gig economy begin? And, and what, what are some ways that you think it's evolved over time?
1: So in my mind, it really started with the Uber and the Lyft models, where they were going eventually nationwide with a skill set that was disrupting an existing business model, in this case being you know, taxi cabs, and looking at providing a similar way for get you from point A to point B, so delivering mobility, but in the process, enabling many different people nationwide to tap into that as additional work, whether it be whenever they feel like it when they're free on nights and weekends or their commute to work or their commute home from work um obviously now what's happening is it's evolving into many other skill sets you saw you know upwork was formed for more kind of professional skills but again very generalistic across the board what's what's gravitating to them is a lot of the uh, creative types so like freelancers people to design your website Um, so over time that skill set is ooched up and the pay has ooched up uh, we look at Yellowbird is not the only example of highly paid gig work. Uh, there's actually another startup here headquartered in Phoenix called MedPlace that is doing doctors on demand to look through um, malpractice claims. So they will have the knowledge and expertise to read through a malpractice claim and decide if there's any warrant to that or not um, and help these you know, medical outfits run the risk. So, you know, I look at this and say, this is going to enable all sorts of new freedom, you know, for workers to think about working how and when they want for what they would like to work for, do exactly the type of work they enjoy doing, um, and and do as much of it as they like.
0: Yeah, man. And and that's kind of the, the initial how it started, the Lyft Uber model, and it's been changing. H- how is it changing now? Like, what do you see... You know we're looking at kind of what's happening but what's what's even going on into the future how is the gig economy going to continue to change right now
1: sure so what we saw and again this was directly related to the pandemic we were going to follow the standard gig marketplace playbook which is go metropolitan area by metropolitan area with our first one being phoenix just because we were headquartered here and if we needed to physically you know go do an assist or get on site we had eyes and ears in the town Um, But as we got into the pandemic, we had people all of a sudden go to our website nationwide signing up and we had this now big decision to make, which is, do we let those people sit there and maybe get, you know, virtually onboarded, but we're not going to generate marketplace revenue or demand for them for a year or two until we get to their city? That's going to be a terrible experience. It will be a terrible, you know, image to our brand. How do we instead um, think about maybe flipping the script? And what we saw was a gig, a fairly high-paid gig in Illinois for nine months, get filled by somebody from West Virginia. And the light bulb went off for us. Because we are dealing with highly specialized, experienced people, our customers are willing to pay traveler per diem and or the workers themselves are willing to get themselves there to go do that type of work um, because it's very compelling. And it's not minimum wage and it's not entry level. And same thing, I mean, it, it's not practical to say, let me get a driver in New York to take me around as an Uber in Phoenix, that that makes no sense. Right. But with our model, it actually did. So we kind of changed the script and went nationwide all at once. It was a bit scary, we only had five employees at the time. Um, but what it allowed us to do is tap into and engage all those people that were signing up nationwide And then we kind of made it fun, like, let's fill in the board. You know, let's get, we can now say we're three years old and we have somebody in every state in the nation, including Puerto Rico. Um, Now, we haven't done revenue in every location yet, but we're starting to see one of these things that's changing is the work is no longer physically delivered either. We have about 18% of our work is actually virtually completed. So these may be things like rewrite a policy, uh, redo content for um, safety trainings, All those things can be done from the seat of the chair of wherever this professional resides. And the exciting thing about that is if they have the right credentials, we can send that job nationwide and reach them. So if they happen to live in Rhode Island and we haven't done on-site physical gigs in Rhode Island yet, they could still be getting invites to virtual work. Um, I think the other thing is gig work is now, a lot of companies are starting to purposefully evaluate with the great resignation we've lost a lot of employees in some cases you know we we're looking at 20 30% of the workforce changing jobs last year depending on your industry so companies are looking at this and saying should we really backfill that or maybe this is something we should start trying to use outsourced individuals for it used to be you know the argument was you can't get a quality person that knows enough you know take them 6 months of ramping to contribute well, for some of this work, if you're getting the right professional, they're they're effective on day one to get that particular gig done.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting what you're talking about. Is a um, what you started to talk about, at least, is a a problem, if not an opportunity, that gig marketplaces have that not many industries do. There's a lot more complexity to to uh, businesses in the gig economy. Your supply side started filling up before your demand side, because it's a two sided marketplace, and so it's like is my supply side just going to pull us ahead really fast or yeah, that that's really interesting. And I, um, I think that hearing from different gig gig marketplaces, like it's happened different and different with like some of them, the demand side happens way faster than the supply side, but that's and that just doesn't just affect like, go to market, you know, or getting your app, like that's, that's your engineering team that that's going to affect. That's like every part of your business model um, is pulled by one market or the other, your messaging and your, you know, your value propositions. I think that way, because I'm a marketer, but that's, that's interesting to me. So you started going into Just at the end there, why you think the the shift is happening? Mostly because uh, there's needs that are being fulfilled that weren't fulfilled best by a W two worker, and I think that that's been generally true of gig marketplaces everywhere as they've opened up opportunities and found needs to be fulfilled that weren't being fulfilled as well as they could have um, in the future, which is would make sense. That's why that's how businesses work and how businesses run. But is there anything else you'd add to why you think the gig economy is changing?
1: I think sometimes they need to tap into a very specialist skill set. And again, an example from the pandemic was a lot of companies had existing EHS people. They were generalists. They may have been with the company five, 10 years. They know that company, they know their employees, they know the work that needs to happen, but they were not specialists in indoor air quality and virology. And so you look at this and say, what they really needed was to bring in a certified industrial hygienist put together a COVID protocol of how do we work through the pandemic, bring people back on site, think about not just initially sampling the air quality and making sure the airflow is meeting CDC guidelines for the use case for that environment, whether it be a restaurant or a workplace, but then also thinking through like, do you have zones of where employees walk in, work, use the restroom and go to lunch all in one zone so that if God forbid somebody were to come down positive, you're limiting your exposure with your employee base um, to only that particular zone and not the entire company. Um, and what we saw here was bringing in a certified industrial hygienist, that very specialized skill set, very much needed. It was only a few days type of work, and then they're done, they've set the protocol. Now that generalist W2ED EHS employee can roll it out with the um, company, with its employees, and then adhere to it, and maintain it. And obviously now some things are getting relaxed a bit, um, and they can make that call. And they're going to be again the eyes and ears for that company uh, to make sure that it's, it's upheld. But that's where I see, you know, another one that's come to us is a company working with radioactive materials in their manufacturing line.
0: Mm-hmm. Their
1: EHS specialists, you know, could start phoning a friend and trying to ask in chat groups online. Has anybody ever had to create a protocol around radioactive materials? Is that really robust, or would they rather just get the specialist off the Yellowbird, you know, platform? have them come in and specify this protocol and now they can again be the eyes and ears to make sure it's adhered to. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing we're seeing is where repeat routine work that can get mundane and boring is potentially outsourced to a third party like Yellowbird so that the in-house folks can focus on really the critical you know, intellectually property protected area of safety or that business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, coming from Intel be the analogous to you're not going to bring a gig worker in to work in the top secret development factory in Oregon that creates the factory process, um, because that's the crown jewels. You're not going to take that risk. But if you need to do daily job hazard assessments and walk-arounds or management of subcons, rolling up reporting on their incident and injury rates, that's something that you could outsource. And so it's really having companies starting to think through which of this really needs to be done by us and what's proprietary versus what we can offload because sadly it's really hard to staff positions right now.
0: Yeah. Oh man. That's good stuff, man. Ever since our conversation um, last week when we were, we were just having a conversation before we came to record this, I've been thinking, really thinking about how I I hinted at this at first, but there may be some markets evolving faster than the gig economy, but I certainly can't think of one, right? This started with a couple companies, letting people work on their own terms by driving, and, and that really just struck a chord. And uh, there have been so many more like problems that gig market, the gig marketplace model could solve than anyone ever thought about at first. Like even with gig drivers, like just take the driver category, right? You see like last mile delivery, ride sharing, food delivery. There's more. And, and then it's gotten broader, right? Marketplaces for event workers or dog walkers or house sitters. Or I, I saw a gig marketplace for people who do your laundry the other day. <laughs> And then it's gotten deeper, which is what what you're talking about, like professional services for handymen and lawyers and fractional C-suite officers, and nurses and healthcare professionals, and and like it's just it's crazy how much it's changed. And I don't even think that um, that's that's close to everything. Like I can't I can't even name how much has been evolving, and I have no idea what needs are going to be fulfilled in the future just by this two sided marketplace model. And um, I I think that I'm monologuing here a little bit, but I think that's why the gig economy is such a great space. There's so much to learn and do. And the most fun part, I'd kind of say jokingly, is the complexity that comes with having a two-sided marketplace, right? Like, it takes some awesome leadership, like (laughs) men and women who are really excited about like traversing new trails and solving new challenges. that, That may be just my experience, but I would say that like the caliber of leadership in the gig economy is it's like top notch. It's tight knit too. Like I, I love uh, the gig economy so much because, and that's, that's why we're here podcasting, because it, there's a really, really great smart people that are really innovating things like taking new ideas. And I guess that's what um, entrepreneurialism really is. But anyway, okay. Sorry. Sorry. I'm on log for so long, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Um, the gig economy is changing really fast and it's going to keep changing and I'm excited to see where it goes. So, we looked at kind of what this means for companies, right? There's a there's a lot of implications there, and if you have any more, I'd love to hear them. But there's also a ton of implications for gig workers, um, you know, like I, I mentioned on the on the supply side. So, what what would you say are some of the implications of the way that the gig economy has changed and is changing for gig workers?
1: Well, I think the most obvious is you could be a professional, um, and I, I think the terms used to be white collar and blue collar. Now I hear there's like a no collar because. You know, these, these myths are being busted through, but you could be a professional, you know, hired by a company, full-time person, but still work nights and weekends doing what you love and what you're really good at um, on a gig platform. And up until now, some people said, yeah, I, I just want to relax. It's not worth it. But when, you know, like we look at our average pay last year per hour on the platform was $62 an hour. Um, A lot of people are like, yeah, that's pretty compelling. I I might actually do four to eight hours a week extra on my own because I want to take an amazing trip to Italy or I want to put a down payment on a house or I want to buy another car uh, for my household. Whatever it may be, um, this kind of gives people that income earning potential outside their typical day job. I don't have to go ask the boss for a raise and risk them thinking poorly of me or just saying I'm overpaid for the role i'm in i can expand my opportunities on my own coming from intel where you own your own employability this is just core to what i believe um, the second thing though is these people the workers are really getting a freedom for the type of work they're doing again we may say safety on demand but no two safety people are the same some just love being in a classroom and teaching 20 30 people something new um, purveying that safety culture and getting people up to speed on a, on a topic, say like fall protection or working in a confined space. Other people are like, I hate being in front of students. I would rather write your safety manuals. Yeah. I love going and looking at the government regulations, reading through them, and saying, here's brass tacks what it means for your company. So we tap into the, the nuances like that to say, this is the type of work you do and where you do it, how you do it. And for some of our paying customers, Understanding what's their culture? Do they want the quote safety cop that's going to come in and swing a two by four if you're not doing it right, or do they want the safety coach? Do they want more of a collaborative approach? Different companies like different things, and yeah. so we can again yeah. get into the personalities and the nuances behind our professionals. Not just, you know just because they both had five years of experience doing construction safety, those two people are not the exact same. What I also love is that it's a kind of a leveling of the playing field on pay. Mm-hmm. So we, at least the way we operate, is we negotiate what that job is worth. And if it goes out to the professional as $1,000 for that day, it's $1,000. Whether you're male, female, no matter what color, ethnicity, sexual orientation, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. You're getting the $1,000 gig. So um, it is one of these kind of great equalizers. Uh, now you do need to be the first one to respond you know, to the text alert. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's one of these where we're not playing favorites, any opportunity we get, we put it onto the platform. Um, and what we're seeing too is age wise, this means people can extend their career beyond the typical retirement, or maybe I got laid off and I'm 58 and it's really hard to find a full-time job. Well, I can do something like this and I can do it without having to stand up my own consulting business, pay to get a website done, pay a lawyer to get a boilerplate contract ready, um put together my logo my branding spend you know 30 40 hours trying to find that first client um, so we look at this and go you can just sign up and tap in there's no fees and and literally you know work will start coming your way and it's up to them to say yes or no if, is it right for them um and i think last thing um is really thinking about upskilling so thinking about if i'm now owning my own employability Um, where we want our platform, we can't do it yet today, but with our artificial intelligence crawling all these different profiles and looking at the types of work that's coming through, what the requirements are, we can then match that and say, hey, Michelle, you're currently earning $55 an hour, but if you obtained these three additional certifications, you could do now this type of work, which is paid out at $75 an hour. So you're giving me customized curated, you know, developmental input on um, where I could take my career roadmap. I may choose. That's not right for me. I don't like that. That's going to mean more classroom training, for instance. and I don't like that. But at least I'm getting those recommendations. And it's, again, putting the decision in my seat.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I think we really believe in a, a gig worker focused gig platform. Right. Um, and I, I think that's another change that I've seen going on in the gig economy is these marketplaces are starting to realize I've got to really prioritize the gig worker, if I want to be successful, um, and so what you just said, like those are implications for the gig worker. But like marketplace leaders should probably be having their ears open and writing this, some of this stuff down. Like, how can I help gig workers get ahead? How can I help them with professional development? How can I give them the best opportunities and make them realize that that they're getting them? You know what I mean? Like, how do I how do I communicate that kind of stuff? That's really important. Um, which kind of brings me to my, uh, my next question for you is this change. Uh, we've talked about a little bit what it means for uh, the, the leader of a gig marketplace. What, is it, what does it mean for building a good gig marketplace? Um, but do you have any specific advice or thoughts for leaders of in the gig economy of uh, how they could respond to the change that's happening?
1: Yeah, so we've called it drinking our own champagne, um, meaning we as startup founders have had to decide, let's be very intentional about who we hire as a W2 worker at Yellowbird and um, how we go about hiring that. Do we start with some fractional folks? Do we start with what we call them phona friends You know, we, we initially said, gosh, to get really good at scoping these jobs and pricing them correctly, that takes domain experience in the EHS industry. And I'll be honest, I don't have that. Um, but rather than hire somebody full-time, pretty expensive, 100 grand a year or more, Maybe we just leverage the professionals on our platform to be kind of our phone friends that when we say, hey, this is a new gig, we've never had to price something like this before. We had a gig one time that was um, sending doing the safety protocols for the people that send out the workers on high-tension power lines. So they actually work on fixing the power lines while there's voltage running through them. So these workers put on a Faraday suit and get flown in a helicopter to those to those lines, and we need the safety person to define the safety protocols around how that helicopter is operating around those high voltage lines. Um, well, you know, I don't know what that's worth. What's the price on that? We don't want to underprice it; nobody will take the gig. We don't want to overprice it; we won't win the gig. Um, so why don't we go tap into one of the professionals on our platform that has the um, you know, experience in aviation safety as well as electrical safety to come back and and tell us what this gig is worth. Um, And sometimes they've converted to then also being the doer that goes out and does the gig. Um, But we look at that and go, it's getting more velocity and more activity on our platform. Um, I think the other thing is really thinking about using gig workers for coverage. This is just a very natural time to pull in the gig workers. Anytime you've got a maternity, paternity leave, a healthcare leave, Mm Um, you know, people are taking sabbaticals now. (laughs) So you look at that and go, don't permanently backfill them because then they may feel like you really didn't want me to come back. Did you, you've, you've now hired somebody full-time, um, and I feel extra when I came back versus, oh no, you really just got somebody for the two to three months. And and sometimes having that independent third-party pair of eyes is really valuable to the business. Yet two people do it slightly differently and then they're going to possibly have something that sticks or or is done permanently differently better. Um, I think it also enables more velocity in your business. When we can go to a client and say we can have, we today have almost a 1,000 people nationwide that could be on your job site in 24 to 48 hours. They just look at that and say, think of the revenue upside you could be driving with your business if you move at that pace. Um, you know, historically, they've said, well, it takes me three to six months, or I just talked to someone who they know they have a construction project starting in 2025, And they're just now starting to work on the resourcing. And I'm like, well, you can vet us and onboard us as a supplier, but, you know, we can start with a lot shorter timeline than that. Um, And lastly, it's the thinking about, well, I've always wanted to do business in that state, but I didn't want to hire a full-time person and have that cost until I could get my business in that state up to that level. Again, thinking about hiring a gig person in those new locations and then converting them to W-2 if you really love you know, they fit your culture and you love the work they're doing. Yeah,
0: I mean, it gives you the opportunity to test things with, with that last one as well. Yeah, that's that's great, man. Um, so we're about to wrap up, but from everything that you've said, I, I'm just curious. What, what would you say is the biggest takeaway for uh, gig marketplace leaders? Biggest thing that you would want them to take away from, from the way the gig economy is changing, all that kind of stuff we've talked about today?
1: I think that it's way bigger than Uber. If we if we think of again a visual analogy, Uber is the tip of the iceberg and I think what's now getting exposed is the whole base of that iceberg of all the different professional skill sets and exposing both the depth of experience, the breadth of people across the nation and again thinking about how this might enable a, a faster-paced workforce, you know, in the future. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And so we'll we'll definitely, guys, you should go check out Yellowbird, see, see what opportunities are there and, and, uh, man, doing some, doing some great stuff. So really want to push people there. And of course we'll have, uh, maybe your, um, uh, a link to Yellowbird in the podcast notes. And is there any way you would want people to connect with you? Maybe on LinkedIn, anything like that? I'd love to push people.
1: Yeah, we're, we're on LinkedIn, both as a company and myself as an individual. We also on our website have a blog, um, we have a newsletter people can subscribe to no cost again, but it'll typically go out monthly and talk about what are maybe some of the changing regulations that are coming That's across nice. your way. Um, I know last year there were over 57,000 changes in regulations across the United States in either environmental health or worker safety. So these poor professionals in this space have a lot to think about every day and usually not a giant budget to yeah. deal with
0: it. Oh man, this has been so good. Well, Michelle thanks so much thanks for thanks for being on the podcast i think you shared some some awesome stuff and i'm really grateful and for you guys listening uh of course we're a new podcast breaking into the world of the gig economy and we are we're built for leaders in the gig economy to come and learn about uh, every, every asp- aspect of leadership, uh, in a gig marketplace. So if that's you, if this is relevant to you, if that's you, I'm certain this was helpful to you. So, uh, go ahead and, and subscribe. If you're interested in this kind of content, we'd love to hear from you, interact with you, see you hopefully in the communities that we're in. Cause we're, we'll, we'll try to see you around there too. So thank you guys so much. Thanks for joining in and listening. We really appreciate you. And thank you so much, Michelle. This has been, this has been great. We'll see you guys in the next episode.